Well, good morning, Harmony. That was pretty good. Let's try that again. Good morning, Harmony. All right. Do you know what today is? It's Super Bowl Sunday. We're like many Sundays this past season. People are going to be yelling. They're going to be cheering loudly. A couple people in a stadium, but most of us at the TV to praise their team, or if we're honest, probably to yell things they shouldn't yell. This evening, it's going to be the Bengals versus the Rams, the Super Bowl we all expected, right? I'm guessing we don't have a ton of Bengals or Rams fans here this morning, maybe a few. Confession, I used to be a big Rams fan, okay? Back in the Kurt Warner days, I actually lived in St. Louis. That's what I consider my hometown. And then they left us. So they're dead to me. So you can guess who I'm rooting for this evening, but it's okay. I bring this up though, because I really want us to think about this for a minute together. You see this evening across our country and even different places in the world, people are gonna gather and they're gonna invest their time into this game, their money as they throw big Super Bowl parties. You can watch the advertisement, see what kind of money is invested in this game. They're gonna invest all types of energy as we yell and scream and cheer for the game, this evening in many ways is going to be full of praise and worship is probably an appropriate word in many ways as people watch two teams that have struggled, they've sacrificed, worked hard all season, and now here they are battling out for victory. And they're going to receive praise and probably some booze from their fans. You see, also this morning, all over the world, people are also gathering for something much, much more worthy of our praise, right? Believers gather together to sing praises to the greatest sacrifice, the greatest victory there has ever been. That's what we're here doing this morning together, amen? Amen. We're here to learn, we're here to grow, and that's awesome, we wanna do that, but ultimately, we're here to praise God for his sacrifice, for his amazing grace, for his great redeeming love. And we have a much, much better reason to praise than any trophy, any touchdown, any favorite commercial. Because the sacrifice and victory of Jesus is so, so much bigger. The reward and the prize is so much better. So I'm going to ask you to remember that together as we sing to God at the end of our service. And maybe, just maybe, we'll make the cheering at the Super Bowl seem a bit small. This morning, as we continue in 1 Samuel in our new series, No King But Jesus, we're going to hear a beautiful and amazing song of praise. A song worthy of any Super Bowl halftime show probably would be a vast improvement. But before we dive into our text, I want to remind us of our setting. And while I do, why don't you go ahead, get your Bibles open, get them up on your phone. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Go ahead and make your way there now. Now, Chris Chris touched on this last week. 1 Samuel begins right after the book of Judges. And the book of Judges just makes it really, really clear to us that Israel isn't doing too well. In fact, the entire book of Judges is this downward spiral from from bad to worse, to worse, worse, to super worse. 
I don't know if that works. I'm not a grammar teacher. My wife is, so she'll correct me. But all of that downward spiral culminates in this phrase you heard last week, everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. It was just another way of saying that no one was following God's word, his commandments, his law. No one was doing what God called them to do. And we're going to even see next week that even Eli, the priest, and especially his sons were even themselves worthless men, not doing what the Lord would have them do. So suffice it to say, things aren't ideal. And then we zoom in on a woman named Hannah, who's barren, she's heartbroken, she's hopeless. Her sister wife, what was her name, Panini, I think? All right, get it? That was a joke. We're trying. I got no laughs first service in Burlington. We got one laugh here, so thank you. Amen. I'm just kidding. kidding. Her, her name was Panina, which that's the name of the sandwich after you eat it, past tense. All right. Are you allowed to make fun of Bible characters if they're antagonists? I think that's okay. But she was mean to Hannah. She was mocking her because she couldn't have kids. And then Hannah cries out to God in pain, in desperation. God hears her. He blesses her. And then she bears a son named Samuel. Hannah promised that she would give her son to the Lord to serve him all of his days. In many ways, she sacrifices her first son to the service of the Lord. And then out of all of that, she prays this beautiful prayer of praise in 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 11. I'm to really encourage you this morning to look at the word, follow along with me as I read our text. I'm going to pause and highlight and explain a couple literary things going on as we walk through it together. So it's going to be best if you're looking at it with me. 1 Samuel chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There's a couple words that maybe stood out to you. Horn here is a word that, like the horn of an animal, represents its strength. It's a word that's used to represent victory. So Hannah's praising God for the victory, and my mouth derides. That means it's opened wide. It swallows up her enemies. So in verse one here, what Hannah is really just doing is praising God for answering her prayers, praising God for delivering her from her pain and sorrow. Hannah is rejoicing in God's salvation. Verse two, there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are Wade. Hannah here is praising God for who he is, proclaiming some of his attributes, his characteristics. God is holy. He's set apart. He's a solid rock. He's unchanging. He's a firm foundation that we can rely on. God is also a God of knowledge. In fact, he's all-knowing. He's omniscient. And God is our judge. He weighs all actions. Hannah's praising God for who he is. Verse 4. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, 
but she who has many children is forlorn. This is popular in Hebrew poetry, but she's using pairs, couplets here, opposites in two verse phrases to emphasize how God's ways are often the reverse of what is typical in our social structure, where the strong, the rich, the fruitful are humbled and brought low while the weak, the hungry, and the barren are exalted, lifted high, which is exactly what God did for Hannah. Let's continue on in verse six. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. Hannah's declaring God's rule and reign, his sovereign control over everything. He brings to life, raises up, makes rich, exalts, raises up the poor, lifts up the needy, sits people with princes in a seat of honor. And then the other side of the coin, he kills, brings down, makes poor, brings low. And this list of the things that God does culminates at the end of verse eight here where it says the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. The foundation of the world is his and on them he set the world. God is the king. He's the sovereign ruler of all. Let's finish this up. Verse nine, he will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces against them. He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Hannah wraps up her prayer here, basically summarizing generally God's teaching and his law. For those that are faithful, for those that obey the Lord and his commands, they're gonna receive blessing. Those are who he guards. But those who are wicked and disobedient, who rebel against God, they will receive God's wrath, his judgment. And then she closes by pointing us forward to God's king, to his anointed And remember at this point when she's praying this prayer, there is not a king in Israel. Yet Hannah's prayer points us to the future, to look forward to God's future anointed king. More on that to come. But as we can see this morning, Hannah's prayer is an amazingly deep and rich praise to God. It's a testimony to her faith and her trust in the Lord. She declares praises about who God is, what his ways are, and the hope that we can find in him and him alone. Now, there's a lot we could unpack here, but I want to bring out three principles from this passage, three principles that I think will help and direct us in the ways that we think about God, in the ways we pray to God, and the ways we hope in God. So our first principle this morning, our prayer and praise should be directed toward God 
and declared about God. Our prayer and praise should be directed toward God and declared about God. Hannah gives us a great example of how we are to pray to God and to pray about God, declaring his attributes, his good works. And these things are to remind us of who God is and what he has done. This is, in fact, what we do every Sunday morning as we gather together for corporate worship. We sing songs to God and about God. We pray, which is talking to God. We get into his word, which is talking about God. And we especially do this when we celebrate the ordinances of the church, the Lord's Supper and baptism. We're celebrating and we're doing those things to help us remember what God has done. That's why Jesus instituted them. You see, as we take communion, we remember and we're declaring both in word but visually God's body, God's blood broken and poured out for us. And as we celebrate baptism together, again, it's this picture where we're celebrating and we're remembering Christ's death, his burial, and then his resurrection on our behalf for those who have loved him and placed their faith in him. This is one of the many reasons that God calls us to gather, to pray and praise God as one. Let's get personal for a minute here. This is why... Among many reasons, it is so important for us to prioritize Sunday morning worship in our lives. Dare I say that we should maybe even plan and schedule some of our activities around our corporate gathering. That we should maybe even not do a few things in our lives so that we can be sure to pray and praise, to learn and grow together as a body of Christ. Now hear me out, I have seven kids, right? I'm the baron with boar seven, apparently. But, and there's a lot of stuff that we can do and there's a lot of things, but I just wanna implore you this morning, God wants us to gather. It's very important for us to get together It's what he calls us to do. It's what we are as the church. So let's talk about church. I think most of you know this, but let's just make it clear. You all brought the church to the building this morning, all right? You're the church, each and every one of you. This is a building, a big room. But the church is God's people gathered together. The Greek word here is ecclesia which just means the called out one. It's the intentional assembling, the gathering of God's called out people that come together and it's the people that make up the church. And in the New Testament especially, the, one of the main metaphors used for the church is, is a body, a body of Christ, a body made up of many members that all need to work together to be healthy. So we got some fingernails, some hands, some elbows, some toes, heads and shoulders and knees and toes. But the picture here is that we all come together in unity, the different pieces of the body joined as one to praise and worship God together. That's what we're doing here this morning. And I'm afraid at times when we don't prioritize that, when we just easily brush it off like it's not that important, that sometimes when we gather together, we're, we're like a bit of a maimed body. We're missing a couple limbs. I know that's a bit harsh, 
And I'm telling it to the people that are here this morning. Some of you are thinking, it's like, I'm here, but I know who he's talking to. And I know stuff comes up and stuff happens, but I just want to encourage us and challenge us to really consider the importance of what we're doing together as God's people gathered together for worship. To remind ourselves, to remind one another of the ways God's work and who he is. This is so important to this first principle because the corporate gathering is one of the most critical places where we seek for our prayers and our praise to be about God and declare things directed towards God and then declare things about God. Now, that's not the only place we're to do this, though. Our personal prayer and our personal prayer should also be oriented in this way as well. I hope we're all good with the first part that our prayers and praise should be directed toward God. I think we got that down. Even if this afternoon you're going to do a little praying and praising towards a sports team, let me, let me help you out, give you a biblical context of how you can do that, and it's okay. God's word calls us to honor one another, so it's okay to, to celebrate, to honor one another, but when and while you're doing that, you got to remember in your head that as good and as talented and as strong and as gifted as some of those folks are, whether you're excited about the football game, you like basketball, or maybe you're a figure skating person, I think that's happening right now, and you love celebrating those things, all of those gifts and talents and awesome things that those people can do are all gifts from God. So it's okay to celebrate and be excited, but do it in such a way that's like, man, God made that person way better at skating than I am. Praise God. That's a healthy way that we can do that. But I do want us to think a little bit more about our prayers and praise specifically as declarations about God. I think this is an aspect of, prayer, of Hannah's prayer that's helpful for us is it indicates that she knows God. She knows who he is. She knows what he does. In a lot of ways, our prayer and our praise are just confirming to God who he is and confirming to him the things that he does. God doesn't need us to do that. We need it because it's good for us. You see, we do these things because we need to remember what God has done in his word. We need to remember what God has done in our individual lives. We need to remember what he's doing right now in your lives, even if it's hard and difficult, because we also need to remember what he's going to do. We need to remember the promises, the glory that he promises for his children. When we do these things, it reminds us of God's grace, of his mercy. It reminds us that he's for us and not against us. It reminds us that when we're going through struggles and difficulties, just like Hannah, that God is faithful, that God's going to see you through them. It reminds us that God's ways are higher than ours, that his thoughts are higher than ours. And it reminds us that God so often pulls off the seemingly impossible tasks by using the weakest and the lowest, the downtrodden in our society. Praying to God and about God reminds us of his amazing grace and the miraculous ways in which he works. And those amazing ways bring us to our second principle this morning. Number two, God often operates an upside-down economy. God often operates an upside-down economy. Now, maybe that's a weird way to say that, but what I mean by this is that God often does things opposite 
of the way we expect it, opposite of the typical ways of the world. We see this throughout Hannah's prayer. God brings down the mighty and he brings up the weak. He raises up the poor from the dust and sits them with princes in a seat of honor. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 puts it this way, for my power, God's power, is made perfect in weakness. Power from weakness is a beautiful picture of God's upside-down economy. Because as believers, as we seek to grow in our faith and thus be lifted high and exalted in Christ, the way to do that is to be brought low. To think less of ourselves, to be humble. You see, humility is central to God's upside down economy. God desires us to be humble, which I know isn't easy. In fact, I think trying to be humble is maybe one of the hardest things and often just feels like an oxymoron. It never feels quite right to share with people, like if you're in a community group or you're hanging out with believers and you're just like, hey, let's, let's take a moment and let's just, let's do what, what, what Pastor John said this morning. We're gonna declare some praises about God, about what he's doing. And right now, you know, God's growing me in humility. So you get asked, what do you wanna share some praises? You know what, guys? I've just been growing in humility. I've gotten so humble. It's like the most awesome thing ever. Like you wouldn't even believe how humble I am. Like, it's incredible. I might be the most humble person ever. You might get a couple sideways glances if you do that. But it's okay. You see, despite that, despite as weird as that sounds, God's upside-down economy over and over and over in God's word through his examples, through his commands to us, how he rules and reigns are essentially opposite of how the world works. Maybe we shouldn't praise God for growing in humility, but we certainly should pray to God to help us grow in humility. You see, God exalts the humble. The lowest of the low are often his greatest ambassadors And on the flip side, he humbles the proud and powerful. As in James 4, 6, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. God's upside down economy. Now God's commitment to opposing the proud and giving grace to the humble is gonna be seen throughout this entire sermon series in 1 and 2 Samuel. We're going to see over and over again, God's going to use the weak, the poor, the unlikely heroes for the good of his people and for his glory. We see this in Hannah already, but then on the flip side of the coin, when and if any of those individuals get puffed up, they get proud, they get arrogant, as Hannah says in verse three, talk no more so very proudly, let not arrogance come from your mouth, God, we're going to see, is going to humble them. He opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. But here's where God's upside down economy should and can and must be encouraging to each and every one of us. God's economy is about grace. 
It's grace-driven. The currency of God's economy is grace. It's his grace. We see this with Hannah, someone without hope, cries out to God, humbles herself before the Lord, asks for his help to deliver her from her pain, her hardship, and God in his grace and mercy raises her up, raises high the poor and hopeless, gives grace to the humble. Brothers and sisters, we are all going to experience suffering, pain, even tragedy in our lives. We're all going to find ourselves probably way more often than we want in a low place. But God's ways, his grace in those places can give us hope. But the key to it is that when we find ourselves in those places... The answer is not to try to pick yourself up on your own and in your own pride, try to fix everything, try to ignore the pain, think you can do it all on your own. No, what we must do is instead be humble. Cry out to God for help. Ask another brother and sister to help you hope and trust in God's ways. The God who opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, humble yourself before him and receive his grace. Now we're going to get to this later in this year, but I think it's appropriate this morning. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus starts the the famous Sermon on the Mount. And he starts that Sermon on the Mount with what are called the Beatitudes. And those Beatitudes, I think, give us probably the best picture of God's upside down economy. So listen to Jesus's words that he preached many years ago. Matthew chapter five, verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Hannah was persecuted, reviled, evil things, poked and prodded, and yet she was blessed. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter how low you might find yourself at times, cling to God, cry out to him in humility, trusting in him, and as Jesus said, realize that in that you might be blessed. He gives grace to the humble. And that was amazing As all of this is, as we consider God's upside down economy, how he works, the reality of all of that is we still don't really grasp how good God is. And that leads us to our third principle this morning. God's plans always surpass our expectations. God's plans always surpass our expectations. Now, before we look at this in our passage, I want you to hear this loud and clear. Everybody look at me. It looks like you're looking at me, so that's good. Give me your eyes. 
God's plan for your life is better than you expect. God's plan for you is better than you expect. Amen? Amen. Now you said amen, that's good. Now I'm not saying it's gonna be easier. I'm not gonna say it's gonna be less messy or comfortable, but it is better than you expect. The journey God has you on in your life right now is going to surpass your greatest expectations. That's how God works. Now, I'm a bad news, good news kind of guy, so I'm going to talk about some bad news for a second. You see, unfortunately, this works in both directions. If we are proud, if we are arrogant, if we think we got this life figured out, if we think we don't need God, if we think we can save ourselves, well, God opposes the proud. And his humbling is going to be a lot bigger than we think. His humbling of us is going to exceed our expectations. I know we don't like to talk about this, friends, but the reality of hell, of eternal separation from God, I fear is much, much worse than we expect. You hear it thrown around on TV or all over our culture that it's gonna be fine, my friends are gonna be there, we're gonna party together. But the reality is, is it will far exceed our expectations in the worst way. But we have to know that And I throw that in here because we must realize our individual need for a savior. We must repent and place our faith in God. We must humble ourselves before the Lord. And then and only then, he will exalt and raise us up in a way that far surpasses our greatest expectation. Because heaven, eternity with God is also going to be far, far better than we could ever hope, imagine, or expect. And even right now in this life, living a life sacrificially to serve God, to love others, to be gospel ambassadors, even when it gets messy, even when it gets difficult, if we live our lives pointing others to Christ, I promise your life in many ways, when you reflect back on it, is going to far exceed any of your biggest expectations, any of your hopes and dreams. There's nothing better than seeing someone come to faith in Christ and knowing that God used you. And maybe you think you have some big hopes and dreams. That's great. But let's consider Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. It says, Now to him, to God who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, Christ's power to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or think. His plans always exceed our expectations. Now let's look at that in Hannah's prayer. The second half of verse 10, it's subtle, but it's there. It says, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. As we continue on, as I said, through First and Second Samuel, we're going to see God's unfolding plan, and I promise they surpass Hannah's expectations. 
You know, Hannah was just crying out for some relief from the pain and persecution. And she didn't just get relief, she got a son, but more importantly than that, as Chris shared last week, she got God. But now think about her son, Samuel, who she committed to the Lord. I imagine Hannah had some high hopes, perhaps. Maybe she thought he's gonna be this great helper for the priest, this great helper to Eli. Maybe she even had the audacity to think that he would be a priest someday and that God would use him for his people. But I very much doubt that she thought this son, this gift that she sacrificed to the Lord's service would one day make kings. In fact, that he would be a great prophet and priest of God. He would actually speak and share God's very word to his people. Hannah didn't know what was coming, but her prayer points to it nonetheless. Her prayer ends looking forward to an anointed king strengthened and exalted by God. Her prayer foreshadows and points us this morning forward to God's plans that will indeed far exceed her expectations and ours. You see, Hannah's prayer here in 2 Samuel chapter 1 is actually echoed in two other places in the Bible. One towards the end of 2 Samuel, which we'll get to in a number of months, and one all the way forward in the Gospel of Luke. I don't have the time to lay out all the connections this morning, but they really are amazing as God's word reveals his plans in amazing ways. These three prayers are all linked together and they're just a picture of God's sovereignty and promise. The, the first time this prayer is echoed is in 2 Samuel 22, where King David himself also prays a song of praise to God. And we're gonna see God's plans unfold throughout this sermon series and how, God, or how King David really is the anointed king that God strengthens and exalts. And that's great, and we're gonna see some amazing things there, but God's plans were even bigger. His plans surpass our expectation. Although Hannah's prayer points to King David in many ways, it also points even further beyond King David to an even greater king. A king who's gonna reign forever and ever and ever and whose kingdom will have no end. And that brings us to the second echo of Hannah's prayer found in Luke chapter one, where another woman by the name of Mary, who is humble and lowly, receives a blessing from God. A miraculous pregnancy by the mighty act of the Lord whose son too is promised to serve the Lord all the days of his life, whose son too will far exceed her expectations. And she responds in prayer and praise as she's still carrying the child. Mary's prayer also exalts God in much the same way as Hannah's, declares his attributes, his ways, praising him for his upside down economy where the mighty are brought low and the humble exalted. And her prayer too looks forward to the fulfillment of God's promises because of his great mercy. The true fulfillment of all of God's amazing plans, all of these passages are pointing us to the promise fulfiller, Jesus Christ. You see, all the way back here, thousands of years ago, as Hannah prays this prayer, God is pointing us to the one true king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, 
the true and perfect anointed king who is strengthened and exalted by God, who is worthy of all of our praise and prayer, and as he is the Lord who judges the ends of the earth. He's not just the king or the anointed, but he is the Lord. Yet, all of this happens in and through God's upside-down economy. Where we see this great king of kings, this great lord of lords, be humble, be brought low. In fact, he humbles himself all the way to his death on the cross for us. He humbles himself beyond our understanding, beyond anything that we can fathom, where the king of kings, the lord of lords, who is reigning in glory at the right hand of the father, came all the way down in the humblest way, born in a manger, and then humbles himself all the way to a shameful, wicked, gruesome death. But God raises up the humble. And again, God's economy is upside down because we know and we see that Jesus is raised up. But that first raising, he's raised up on a cross on the top of a mountain for all to see. The greatest sign of humility, the greatest sign of what would appear to be weakness, but then also in God's upside down, the greatest sign of victory and the greatest sign of life as Christ is raised up. But his greatest plans exceed our expectations and it doesn't stop there because Christ is raised again. On the third day, he's raised from the dead. And we see victory over Death And it doesn't stop there because then he's raised again, ascended all the way into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father where all of his enemies are gonna be made and put under his feet as his footstool. God humbled himself as low as low and he is exalted in Christ. Jesus Christ is the most beautiful picture of that upside down economy of the humble being raised low because he is the anointed, the exalted king. There is no king but Jesus. As we see in Hannah's prayer and as we'll see throughout First and Second Samuel, God is gonna do some amazing things. Every single one of those amazing things that are pointing us toward, pointing us forward and foreshadowing God's amazing plan of redemption that exceeds our expectations. Where God became low, humbled himself on our behalf so that he might save his people. And then he's gonna raise us up, exalt us up with him in glory to enjoy everlasting life with Christ. And I promise all of that, brothers and sisters, all of that that we can hope in will one day exceed our expectations far beyond anything we could imagine. And friends, this beautiful truth should in many ways bring us full circle to how Hannah responded to her great deliverance with praise. Or as she put it, I rejoice in your salvation. When we think about God's ways, when we think about what God has done, we should rejoice in our salvation. It should give us hope, a hope that far exceeds our expectations. As we think and consider these things that should lead us to respond in praise. That's our application this morning. 
We're gonna have an application sentence in closing here that I think helps summarize our passage and the principles we can learn from it. Knowing God and knowing his way should lead us to sacrifice and praise. Should be easy to remember. Knowing God and knowing his way should lead us to sacrifice and praise. Let's see if we're awake this morning. Can you say it with me? You ready? Knowing God and knowing his way should lead us to sacrifice and praise. Brothers and sisters, we should seek to know God more as we read and study his word, as we spend time with him in prayer and just listening and meditating on his word. So we should rest and find great comfort and joy in understanding his ways and his plans that are so much better than we could ever hope for and imagine. And then in and through all of that, respond like Hannah with songs and prayers of praise, declaring who he is, declaring what he's done, reminding us of his great sacrifice and praising his name responding in our own way with sacrifice and praise, to live every single day of our lives to make sacrifices for his kingdom and to live lives full of praise and thanksgiving because of how good and how awesome God is. This reminded me of one of my favorite passages, Romans 12, verse one. Paul's just shared all of these great things about who God is and what God has done. And then he turns the corner and calls his people to do this. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, to respond in sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, to respond in sacrificial living and worship and praise of our great king. Brothers and sisters, let's know God, let's know his ways, and let's respond every day with sacrifice and praise. Let's pray.